0: Good evening, Signor Fabrici. Ah, yes, yes. Yes, good evening, Signor Sullivan. Good evening. Now, is it true that you prefer to make your films right out on the street instead of in a studio? Oh, but of course. It's the only way you can approach uh, reality realism. I put my camera on top of a truck, and we drive into the city and shoot. In my latest film, uh, Infinity, which runs six and a half hours, this film was shot entirely on the top of a truck. Why does it run so long? Well, you see, uh, we got uh, stuck in the traffic. Oh. It's typical. This is the last time I ever shoot during the rush hour. Never again. Now, many film critics have called you the master of symbolism. For example, in one picture, the screen was completely black for eight minutes. Now, what did you mean by that? Yes, I didn't mean anything. I didn't mean anything. The, the cameraman forgot to take the lens cover off the <laughs> Today, uh, he's in another business, that man. <laughs> Look, uh, you've got exactly 12 more seconds of my extremely precious time, uh, Mr. I Latter- see. Uh, well, Federico Fabrizi, I wish to thank you and wish you the best of luck, or as we say in American show business, break a leg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, to you I say molti finestra i volite mollare. What is that? May you lose all of your teeth. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry, I've been practising that for ages. Um, I just end up sounding like a poor version of Mark Kermode trying to do Jared Leto from House of Gucci. Anyway, I've never professed to be uh, an expert in stereotypical Italian impressions. Uh, That being said, this is an episode about a very fine, a very entertaining film, a very good Peter Sellers film, I think. And my guest is Graham Rinaldi. And Graham and I spoke about uh, this this film, and, and Graham started off by talking about how he first discovered Peter Sellers.
2: My father was a huge um, when he was a young boy. He was a huge cinema um, fan, and he would spend most of his time in the cinema. And when I was growing up, my I would be watching these um, mainly British and American films. And my father would just sort of wander into the room and then say, oh, he would tell me who the actor was standing probably behind Peter Sellers or mm. next to Terry Thomas, mm. that sort of thing. So I was picking up all of that. And with Sellers, I well, he just fell in love with him because um, he was just an absolutely marvellous <clears throat> performer. Um, and, I mean, obviously, a Shot in the Dark was quite an early one and um, Wrong Arm of the Law, Two-Way Stretch. The mouse that roared. I mean, the list is endless. Even what you know, what's new Pussy Cat, um, and this film called After the Fox. Um, a lot of a lot
1: of films with animals in the title, like, um, <laughs> but like you said, um, Mouse that Roared, Pink Panther, What's New Pussy Cat, After the Fox.
2: Um, Did he ever have any pets? Uh, <laughs> uh, no,
1: he he collected cars, gadgets, yes. and wives. That yes. was it. Mm.
2: And pet hates, shall we say? Oh yes. Probably. But as one gets older. You appreciate, I kind of appreciated, I appreciate um, Doctor Strangelove more well, and more. Me too. Um, I, I think it's his, I think it's his best film. Um, and, um, and, I, and I do, I mean, he's wonderfully creepy in Lolita as well. Mm. So,
1: Graham, uh, this is obviously, you know, you've joined me today to talk about uh, a wonderful film. But when we were initially in contact, you did mention that you are, um, you know you did listen to the goons you do listen to the goons what's your history with the show
2: i listen to the goons um i'm more i know you're not going to like this and you're going to shut me down as soon as i start to, to say the program um i'm more of a hancock's half hour. okay okay yes.
1: thank you for your time yes <laughs> yeah it's funny
2: it's people tend
1: to well no you get people that are keen on both and you get people that like one or the other i suppose
2: yes yeah, so I, I like both but I, I just gravitate more towards hancock's half hour i actually think it's probably the best british sitcom um and i do remember when i wrote the book about will hay that um i i think it's i think it's in the acknowledgments that i i credited which was then known as i think it was known as bbc radio 7 Yeah. Yeah, which is now four extra. And um, I listed the radio programmes that I was listening to that was kind of getting me through it when I was working on the Will Hay project that took a number of years. And um, the Goons um, were quite prominent at that point and nothing to do with Will Hay. It was just um, they were on and I was able to listen to them. Yeah, so that's, that's really where I come from with the goons. And um, when Milligan, he appeared on so many chat shows and things, I would always make a point of watching Spike, the same as people like Tommy Cooper, Frankie Howard, mm. etc. Cetera, et cetera. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Spike was just phenomenal. Um, and of course, um, the, the you know, reading his war memoirs, the traumas that he went through um, in Italy, um, and of course the, the love of his life, the relationship he had um in italy yes with um, it's Tony. All very, mm. yeah it's all very um it's very heartbreaking um, mm. that whole story uh, and um and i love the fact that he used mussolini in a title of one of his memoirs as well <laughs> yes and i have two i do have a my, i do have about three or four books on mussolini <laughs> on my bookshelf Oh, you should see me, stand, you know, if I, if I can only build a balcony to this house, I'd, uh, you know, stand out there and gesticulate to all the neighbours.
1: <laughs> and then they'd hang you from a lamppost.
2: Exactly. And then they can all come and hit me. While mm. I'm, while I'm there. <laughs> uh, and
1: you're a film lecturer and you run classes on Italian cinema, among yes. other things.
2: Uh, among other things. British and British um, comedy
1: great well and so this is this kind of what we're going to talk about today um is, is it brings in both those worlds essentially uh, mm. because we have come together today to talk about the 1966 Peter Sellers film After the Fox <laughs> by uh, Vittorio De Sica uh, written by Neil Simon I think it was Neil Simon's first screenplay he'd written plays hadn't he written The Odd Couple for the stage well yes
2: I mean um, at the time that he was this is his as you say this was his first screenplay which he wrote in London Mm -hmm. and um, at that time as you were saying um, on Broadway he had three shows Little Me Barefoot in the Park and The Odd Couple and um, yeah, he was in London with his wife and his family. He was writing this first screenplay. And then he gave it to a gentleman called Harvey. He wrote the first draft. He gave it to Harvey Orkin, who was at CMA, Creative uh, Management Agency, who loved it and said, do you mind if I pass it on to Peter Sellers? And um, so I gather Neil, Neil Simon um, was a little bit worried. He was, he was a bit unsure if Sellers could actually be an Italian. And he had actually, when he wrote it, he envisaged um, two uh, Italian actors to play the role of Aldo Venucci, uh, Marcello Mastriani, and Vittorio Gassman. So it was sent to Sellers and Sellers loved it. And I, I love this. This is a lovely story that Neil Simon told. So Sellers mm-hmm. arranged a meeting with Neil Simon and Harvey Orkin at his home at Brookfield. Yeah. Which I gather is near was near Guildford, and uh, yeah. um, 15th century house or something because I know he sold it on to Ringo Starr, who sold it on to Stephen Stills and Crosby Stills and Nash, and Young. Yeah, right. um, and Sellers was recuperating well um, from that huge heart attack he had on Billy Wilder's uh, Kiss Me Stupid. He um, <laughs> I love I just love this story from Neil Simon that part of Sellers' rehabilitation program was he had to. Re- um, ride a bicycle and they arrived at the meeting and he was just he was riding round the outside of his house <laughs> okay and neil simon said that sellers would occasionally slow down but he said that he and our harvey walking just spent the whole time either walking next to him while he was cycling or jogging (laughs) while they were discussing the script and he said that neil simon said that when neil simon was going through the script and, and he would say something very very funny that sellers would sort of laugh uproariously and then he would repeat the line out loud, as though he'd never heard it before, mm. and this went on for about an hour. Mm. And um, at the end of it, Stella said, "Yeah, this, this, this you know, we're, we're definitely we're definitely doing this." And he said, "I want Vittorio de Sica to be the director of the film." So then the s- script was then sent to de Sica, who then um, also then came on board. Mm-hmm. So you had this whole package of Neil Simon, who was a, like big wow on Broadway. Um, Peter Sellers and Victoria de Sica and United Artists picked it up, and but there was also another production company, uh, Brookfield Production Company, which was um, Sellers' company with John Bryan, and they came together, and this was, they were meant to make six films mm. together, and this mm. would be the first, and I will also say the last,
1: the last, yeah. No. Uh,
2: productions now um should i explain who john bryan was um uh, sure. john bryan was a very famous british art director film art director he uh, worked on art direction on such films as laundering gilead's millions like us uh, the wicked lady mm-hmm. um i also get the chance now to say my favorite joke uh, relating to into a 1940s british film are you ready for this i'm braced Go on. are you ready yeah, yeah. Um, Tyler, have you ever seen uh, Phyllis Calvert's Fanny by Gaslight? (laughs) Um, He was the art director. I'll just leave that hanging. I just love that joke. Um, He was the art director for that. He won the Academy Award for art direction on David Lean's Great Expectations. He also was the art director on David Lean's Oliver Twist. He won the BAFTA for the Richard Burton, Peter O'Toole film, Uh, Beckett. Oh, yeah. He then became a producer, a couple of Alec Guinness films, The Card, The Horse's Mouth and a couple of Normal Wisdom films as well. There was a crooked man and the girl on a boat. So huge pedigree and they come together to work together. And um, as we talk about this, um, there, I do have a few stories that I've found out about that how and why the relationship between John Bryan and Peter Sellers um, fell apart.
1: Oh well, well, you, the answer there. Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers <laughs> yes. could he could no more hold down a relationship, professional or otherwise, of anybody than he could um, knit fog. I suppose it's fair to say. <laughs> and just, just on you, you, you mentioned obviously Sellers wanted uh, De Sica. Does that go back to him working with De Sica in or on the Millionaire's? Because well. De um, in that, wasn't it?
2: Yes, because De Sica is in The Millionaire's, S and um, it's it's an interesting way of looking at it. I think the real connection, obviously De Sica, so um, De Sica was one of the pioneers of Italian neo-realism um, along with uh, Roberto Rossellini and uh, Lucchino Visconti. And so, I mean, Italian neo-realism films came about because... Um, Italy during the war under the dictatorship of Mussolini, everybody, you know, everyone was sort of Italy was humiliated um, by this, and he himself said that neorealism, Distico said that it came out of this loss of liberty, um, not only just personal liberty but artistic and political, and they then um, took their cameras out onto the streets. And they use bits of old film stock, wherever they could get it from. And you can see in these films that are made from the mid to late 1940s, you see war-torn Italy and also Italy slowly trying um, to rebuild itself. And they use lots of non-professional actors. So you would have, in some of the films, you may have about three or four professional actors, something like Roberto Rossellini's Rome Open City has the great Anna Magnani um, in it. And De Sica's films were the same. So he made a film called Shoeshine, which was um, about um, young boys who end up in um, juvenile penitentiary. But of course, his most famous film that he made, which was in 1948, was The Bicycle Thieves, which um, if anyone has probably seen a De Sica film directed by that, is probably the film, because for many years it was um, voted uh, the number one film by um, Sight and Sound. Um, So that is where De Sica was coming from um, as a film director. Mm-hmm. And of course the um, the connection with Sellers, I think really comes from the De Sica was a mentor to um, a woman that Peter Sellers. Um,
1: oh, right. Yes. You know yeah. who. Yes. yes. Loren. Mm.
2: And because Lorraine in, <laughs> and when she was 19, she met uh, De Sica at Chino and Uh, you know, which is the number one film studio um, in Italy. And she met him briefly and he said, all he said to her was trust yourself and everything will go well. And then not long afterwards, she then had an interview with him and they were just sitting there chatting. And then he said, right, well, I'll see you tomorrow. We're off to Napoli um, to to shoot um, a film called The Gold of Napoli. And she plays the uh, pizzaiola, uh, the pizza uh, girl in that film and she he, she always said that De Sica was her mentor and what he used to do when he directed her, he would act out how he wanted the gestures, the movements and she would copy him and give her, you know, give it her own twist as sure. well. Mm-hmm. He did the same thing, De Sica, on After the Fox with Britt Eklund um, as well. He would act out um, what he required um, in a scene but he did it with all um, the actors, um, apart from, I think, Sellers, because obviously you don't <laughs> tell Peter Sellers uh, what to do. Um, I want. To, um, I, do, I don't know if you know this. This is a sort of goon-related story to do with After the Fox. Mm-hmm. Are you aware of the, um, the dinner with Sellers, Brit, at Brookfield with Neil Simon, Neil Simon's wife, Harvey Orkin and Harvey Orkin's wife? Are you aware of this no, story? No, go, go on. So Sellers and Brit... Uh, um, arranged a dinner party at Brookfield for uh, Neil Simon as I say and, and Harvey Organ and their respective wives so they thought it was just to be the six of them and they were just sort of getting into the evening and um, there, there was a ring on the doorbell and uh, Harry Seacum and Mrs Seacum and Eric Sykes and Mrs Sykes were also invited to oh. uh, the dinner as well and they, they thought well why haven't we been served the dinner yet and they was that waiting and waiting and Harvey Orkin I gather was slowly getting pissed while this was going on <laughs> right. then it was actually announced by sellers that um, oh well we're not starting dinner until 10 o'clock because Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden are turning
1: up. Oh yeah I've, I have heard yep. this yes and
2: um, I gather Neil Simon said that then sellers and Seekham were having to spare, teach him how to bow properly <laughs> And so she arrived with Lord Snowden and Princess Margaret. Just laughed at everything Sellers, Seacombe, and Sykes did. Everything, mm. not did, whatever utterance they made, she mm. just laughed at it. And it was going. The evening was going on and on and on and on and on. And of course, Neil Simon was staying in the heart of London with his wife. And you know they wanted to get back to London. Yeah. And in the end, Sellers, um, she sort of said, "Well, you know." who are these two men, Princess Margaret's head? And Seller said, well, um, Neil Simon is the, um, the funniest man on, you know, Broadway at the moment in America, and Harvey Orkin is one of the most wittiest men who's ever come out of America. So she said, oh, can they, well, you know, prove it, do some entertainment for me. Oh, dear. And Seller's egged them on to do a skit, and I gather they just improvised. <laughs> Harvey Orkin was so drunk, he decided, right, I'm going to be a, um, a prostitute on Waterloo Bridge. And Neil Simon was then going to be a US senator from Georgia who's looking for a piece of the action. And Gavrick went down like a lead balloon. And then all of a sudden, Princess Margaret just got up without saying a word and left with Lord Snowden. And Neil Simon was so relieved that he and his wife could go all the way home. But that was at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, God. And Sellers would have loved every minute of that. Oh yes, <laughs> seeing them squirming. While, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, for his own amusement. Yeah. But, uh, um, so that's that's sort of like the goon-related story. Um, yeah. To do with the sort of pre-production to uh, after the Fox. Do I? Do we need to tell everyone the plot?
1: <laughs> well, <clears throat> this is the thing. I was. I've got copious notes here that I made. Okay, and I and I realised that. Normally, what I do when I'm covering a film is that I write a little, pithy little synopsis. Yeah. Um, but I forgot to do that. <laughs> so, um, what I can do, if you like, yeah, I, I do have the Blu-ray right here in my. You can, hot
2: you can read hand. off the
1: back cover. I'll just read off the back cover in case anyone listening to this hasn't watched After the Fox, which, by the way, jumping right to the end, I'm not going to give any spoilers at all. But I happen to think that it's it's up there with the ending of the taking of Pelham one, two, three.
2: Oh yes. There's a, there's, a, there's a yes.
1: I, um, I think it's, I think the ending to, to after the Fox is perfect, but the, the, the plot millions of dollars in stolen gold bullion must be smuggled from Cairo to Italy. And there's only one criminal mastermind capable of doing it. Aldo <laughs> Venucci, AKA the Fox played by the one and only Peter Sellers. Venucci devises the perfect plan to bring the loot ashore, posing as a flamboyant Italian film director and casting a faded, egotistical Messini idol and his own sister in a fake movie about, of course, a gold heist.
2: I I think that, I mean, that's, I mean, that is, I mean, it's, he is a small time crook. And and the only reason why he actually um, decides to, to, because he actually turns the job down. To begin with but the only reason why he decides to do the job is because he's told that his sister, Gina, played by Brit, is um, a streetwalker uh, in Rome mm. and um, of course it's even worse when he when he breaks out of uh, prison um, it's even worse for Aldo Venucci when he discovers she's not a streetwalker, she wants to be a film actress mm. um, and um,
1: which will bring the family into disrepute. Despite yes. despite the fact that he's a criminal mastermind who's been banged <laughs> up in choky for years.
2: Oh well, yeah, you, do, you know, you don't have to go into the acting profession? You know? yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, by the way, I was getting
1: watching it again the other day for this the the scenes in the prison when Sellers is visited by his three rather gang members. Gang yes. members, I suppose you'd call them, who yeah. are just kind of like. Um, Italian three stooges aren't they really i suppose um,
2: but one of them is a one of them is a really good italian actor
1: okay is it is it <laughs> the one that's got the most to do the one that's slightly gormous looking
2: um no it's actually um paolo stopper who plays um the one who's beautifully dressed most of the time oh, with right. the mustache
1: yes okay but the scenes where the scenes where they they visit uh, aldo venucci in prison i was re- reminded of two-way stretch a little bit, where you've got this very lax prison where Venucci is able to supply them, outsiders, with contraband, yes. <laughs> basically. Uh, and the and the prison yeah, the prison officers are more or less waving it through and they give Aldo a lot of flexibility and uh, laxity.
2: Well, it's interesting you saying that because Silas um, has a particular walk as Venucci.
1: Yes, he does. Yes, he which does. Is,
2: which is quite wonderful.
1: I um, love that walk, and I—I I wrote. I was trying to describe it when I was watching it, and it's—it's it's a walk that I've seen him do variations of in films before. He's got—I think Sellers has got what I call fluid stiffness.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is a good description because he does—he with that particular walk, it is as though there is a plank of wood um, down his shirt because his back is. Perfectly straight.
1: Yes, it's it's this comic dignity as yes. well, and it's and I wrote down um, uh, Sellers walking back to a cell, displaying comic dignity, a sort of fluid stiffness about his walk. Yeah,
2: because he reminds me of there was when he when he first appears in the prison when he comes to you know um, visiting time, the he 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 makes a gesture that it was very reminiscent of uh, Noel Coward. As Mr. Bridger mm. in the Italian job, which is of course after, after yes. made, made release, you know, made a couple of years after after the fox. Um, but he makes that same gesture and he, he is in that same position. He Aldo Venucci is Mr. Bridger. Aldo Venucci is Harry Grout from Porridge. <laughs> he is he is running that place um from his cell. And um he can escape at any time if he so wishes. And um, I just—it it, is—it is a wonderful walk from Sellers, and he, he does it—he um, does it again a bit later on when he's out. There's that lovely scene where he goes marching off when he has his towel round him and yes. turns, it, turns it into a toga.
1: Yes, absolutely. Again, I made a note of that—a sort of stoic comic dignity about it. There
2: is a lot of yes. Mm. Yeah, I—he—I mean, he really does. Um, Live the part, transform the part, and he's completely different as um, FF. Uh, oh yes, <laughs> uh, the film director. Yes. Um, so um, yeah, it's it's it is a great. I think it's actually a great comic um, creation from Sellers, and it's interesting you say about um, two way stretch because there he is once again. Because um, he is he Dodger Lane in two way stretch. Yes, there he is in charge of a gang and in wrong arm of the law where he's pearly gates mm. in charge. Yeah. Um, of a gang um, of criminals and um, all the you know, both of those other films are two of seller's best um, feature films they certainly so are. it's interesting that he's playing the same type of role uh, would you would you say this so this film
1: can be split into two halves would you say in the sense that you have the Aldo Venucci first half and then you have the yes Fabrizio, Federico oh, Fabrizio. Federico Fabrizio Fabrizi Fabrizi the the, um, the faux film director
2: the faux film director yes uh, <laughs> it is a <laughs> film in two parts but I do um, I'll will come on there is I do think there's somebody whose performance in the film is also absolutely spot on um and we'll we'll talk about him um, yes. in a little while I I, th- uh, I
1: think that um the, with with the prison. Uh, when he so Salas vows that he will escape by what is it three o'clock the following day because his <laughs> sister Gina has been staying out late <laughs> uh, and obviously he, he, he has to go and sort things out. So he, I think the, the whole scheme that he employs here, the switcheroo ploy, is quite ingenious. Um, it messes with your expectations, doesn't it?
2: Venucci is the master of disguise. And you see that, um, of course, um, when he finally gets home, and uh, of course, there's all those different costumes um, in the wardrobe yes. <laughs> that he can choose from. When we get when we get to Vinucci's home, um, Gina, she wants to be a film star, and and um,
1: just 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 on the Brit yeah. in, in this in this film, I understand that. To seeker was initially reluctant to to have her on board, but in the end he he acquiesced. Is that right?
2: Yeah, to sell us. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that um, purely, purely because she's obviously she's she's blonde. <laughs> she doesn't look particularly. Well, yeah,
2: because she, she's she's wearing, you know, she's she's wearing a wig. I mean her hair's not dyed. I yeah. mean, she's clearly wearing a wig in, you know, in mm. the film. Mm. And it's interesting that what she was When she was asked to play this role, of course, there she is. She's having to play, she's playing opposite her husband, but she's playing his sister. Um, and I love the fact that the person that she went to, um, to say, do you think I should do this, was Elizabeth Taylor. Really? Yes, Elizabeth Taylor was um, a bit of a heroine and a confidante to Britt Eklund. And she said, um, you know, this is a challenging role, she said, but, uh, you know, but Peter's my husband. And Elizabeth Taylor said, just forget that he's your husband and just play it for real, mm. that he is your brother mm. and you are his sister. And that's what she did.
3: There has been enough crying. Take this soap and wash those
0: lips off your face.
2: Oh, I hate you. I hate you till like that.
0: Oh, I hate you. And thank you for reuniting my family. And if I cannot trust you, you have to stay in your room until you are 21 years old. I go where I want and when I want. Can you say the same fugitive? Now just you listen to
3: me, you, you, you,
0: delinquent. Sneak. Harlot. Coward. Tramp.
3: Starlet. You are never to mention acting again. And you are to put down that flower pot. She never misses.
1: Um, well, one other point to think about as well. She'd not long had Victoria Sellers.
2: No, well, that's the other thing. Um, um, when when they go, when they're making the film, when they're shooting the film, especially when they get to the um, island of Ischia, mm. um, which is the, you know near the Bay of Naples, uh, for six weeks, the um, the hotel that they were staying in, the adjoining room was the nanny with Victoria. Uh-huh. And um, it was oh, this is just some because Brit has been quite open about this in in her autobiography, and she said that so there she was, um, there they are on this beautiful island, which is also was used for, funnily enough, for Cleopatra, the Elizabeth Taylor Richard Burton film, and uh, many years later, the talented Mr. Ripley.
1: Uh, oh, which, great uh, film! Yeah, yeah, love that.
2: So that was shot there as well. Mm. And um, but she said, so she thought, oh, well, I'll invite my um, mother and two of two of her brothers. And she never, she hardly saw them because Sellers wouldn't allow her to go and see her own family. Probably. They came, mm. and it got to the point also where Sellers basically stayed in his room. Um, once shooting was over for the day, he would stay in the room, and she would have to stay in the room with him. Occasionally, I gathered that um, he did go venture down to the pool, maybe two or three times, because his chauffeur Bert, More, Bert Mortimer, yeah? that's right, yeah, mm. said that you know there's, of, the Italians are all lounging around the pool, and then Sellers would just dive bomb, causing the biggest splashes <laughs> he could, you know, to ruin everyone's you know sunbathing, but. Even when, so the nanny was taking Victoria out down to the poolside, and occasionally Brit would go down there, but um, he was as though she was betraying him, and she would have to come back. And even it got to the point where the nanny was spending most of the time with Victoria not in the adjoining room, Mm. um, because of the the relationship between Peter and Brit in their room. And, I mean, that had been going on, I gather, from when because they shot interiors etc. at um, Chinachita. and um, you know the the and I find this absolutely amazing. You know the um, the scene where he goes the two scenes where he stops her from being an actress on the street. Sure, yeah, um, which is the uh, Via Veneto, um, one of the most famous. St- <laughs> you know boulevards yeah, yeah. in rome and of mm-hmm. course it was in the 60s everyone oh, yeah. anybody would be seen there and um Sica could pull lots of strings but he couldn't pull the strings to have that shut down um so he had it rebuilt for three three blocks at chinachita traffic lights roads Blimey. cars Facades of hotels. Yeah. Um, So all this was going on um, throughout filming, and one of the oh, this is a. I mean, I love Peter Sellers. I mean, I love him as a performer, but you know, of course, and I've read, I've read Roger Lewis's book, Mm. and um, it's, and but when you you know the dark side of Sellers, Mm. and he during filming, he said to her one day, "I've seen the rushes of what you did yesterday," and he says something on the lines of. It was one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. I think you should go and see it. And you just think, there's Brit, you know, making... She's watched, watch 22, 23 mm. when she's mm. making this film? Sellers mm. is about 40. And you're meant to be encouraging your wife, but at the same time, you're putting her down. And, I, you know, I I'm, I'm, imagine it couldn't have been that wonderful experience shooting this film. <laughs> Well, how
1: much how much do you think she relished the scenes in the film where she has to throw various items at, <laughs> at Aldo Venucci's head?
2: Yes. She never misses. She never misses, but a lovely little touch from Sellers is yeah. when he's talking to um Mama Venucci mm. and he's picking up different sized bowls and he's rubbing them mm. across <laughs> his forehead because they're obviously cold. And I just think, yes, yeah, sellers improvised that. There are, I mean, that throughout there are moments where I mean, I love, I love it when he, as, um, as um, Fabrizzi, when he meets the police chief and they go into his office and then there's that wonderful moment after he sort of said he could give him a role in the film and then he just vents, he just mm. stops throwing <laughs> things around. And he just, you know, he just says, that's what we do, us, you know, us Creative theatrical people. types. Mm. It's, um, there are that lovely moments throughout from Sellers.
3: Again, my deepest gratitude, and good morning. Good morning. morning. Oh, such a deep, rich voice. (laughs) Excuse me, excuse me, but we film people must give vent to our feelings, and I have just vented. Good morning. Good
1: morning. The fox decides that he's going to take This Cairo gold Job on He's he's going to uh, Somehow or other smuggle this gold into Italy And he has to meet Okra Okra yep. is the guy who uh, So who was is Okra is, is, is the is the mastermind Behind the actual It's yes, played robbery. by
2: Akeem Tamaroff who's, If you've um, known Especially known for Orson awesome Welles films uh, mm. Touch of Evil especially playing yeah. Uncle Joe Grandin.
1: That's right. Yes. Was, yeah. He's at the trial as well? Yeah, so, so so Sellers has to go and meet with this uh, Ocra. So he goes <laughs> to this restaurant as part of a as part of a party of tourists and he's disguised. Uh, and I think it's the only because he 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 does wear lots of disguises and and play different parts in this film. It's it, yeah. it is it is the fox playing a part and and generally speaking using his own voice. Yeah. But this is this is a uh, this is a rare uh, instance where uh, the fox is disguised as an American, and he's doing that what they would call in the Goon Show the Hearn voice, which is okay. making American noises, not actually yes saying no saying any words. Um, and then he sees this beautiful woman, um, ah yes, uh, who is uh, Maria Grazia Buccella.
2: Buccella, yes, Miss Italy, nineteen
1: fifty nine. Yeah. It's a lovely bit of business here. With uh, so, so essentially, uh, Okra is, is sat right behind uh, Maria. And Maria is vo- is voicing, is mouthing the words that Okra is saying. <laughs> uh, uh, in order to, you know, not to arouse suspicion from you know,
2: nosy parkers or the authorities or, or whatnot. This is really good. Yeah. And um, especially because doesn't he order order three whiskeys? And then, of course, he's corrected and said there's only meant to be two of you. Yes,
1: that's it. And
2: then, of course, when the waiter comes along, he says, you're with the tourists, so you've got one whiskey and one glass of wine. (laughs) It's... I mean, going with the the Brit thing, it's... I mean, I actually think that um, the scene that she plays later on with Victor Mature, when she tries to seduce him, Mm. it's probably one of her better scenes in the film. Without, mm. <laughs> so it's without sellers. Because mm. it is a bit of a thankless role, Gina Romantica. Yeah, um, yeah. She does a lot of whining um, throughout. Um, but the scene with um, Victor Mature is, is, is actually one of the more stronger um, scenes in the film. Um, which brings us, to, I mean, we should mention Victor Mature, because I think Victor Mature's performance is superb. It's tremendous. He really gets it, and it's interesting because, of course, Victor Mature was sort of—he's been, you know, been sort of lamb, but he was sort of a butt of people's jokes for many years, you know, because of his because of his acting. But I think I always say you need to see him as Doc Holliday in John Ford's, you know, My Darling Clementine. He's absolutely wonderful in that role. But and so here he is. I gather it was he hadn't made a film for five years. And um, this was the longest stretch that he'd had without making a film since he'd been um, serving during the Second World War. And he, I mean, I, 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 when I was re-watching it, it finally dawned on, on me who I think he's actually being in that film, which famous um, Hollywood actor he is mimicking in, that, in, in After the Fox. Mm. And that is Burt Lancaster. All right. Um, if, But especially early Burt Lancaster films, especially because Burt Lancaster of course was um, an acrobat and such things but Burt Lancaster, I, I don't know if you um, do you remember Frank Gorshin who played the Riddler? I do yes. In Batman mm. and well, his Fra- Burt Lanc- Frank,
1: Frank, sorry to interrupt you Frank Gorshin yeah. had the misfortune of appearing as one of the acts on Ed Sullivan's show the night the Beatles were on, you know, the first ah. time the Beatles appeared and no one in that audience was interested at all in, in Frank Gorshin and his comedy stylings.
2: Yeah, which is interesting because my father would have been interested in Frank Gorshin. And, you know. <laughs> um, so he used to do heightened, you know, that sort of slightly heightening and impersonations. And he used to wonder, it was all teeth, because Bert Lancaster was a lot of teeth. He yeah. um, um, always had that smile. And um, you can see it. There are just wonderful moments in Victor Mature's performance where he's the the beauty, you know, he's pearly whites you keep seeing. Um, I do love the fact that they use a Victor Mature film in the film, uh, which was Easy Living, made in 1949, where he plays an American football player who suffers from a heart condition, also stars Lucille Bourne and Elizabeth Scott, who you see in the film. Can you um can can you give me some
1: off the top of your head any other films that have done that where they feature films of the somebody within a film somebody within a film who's in the who's in the main film if you know what I mean
2: Oh, can I call you back and edit? Can Can you edit in? Yeah, I can think of I
1: can think of one example, but it's not a film. It's from an episode of Columbo. (laughs) Um, did the Magoo an episode. No, it's where it's the episode with Janet Lee as the oh, okay. as the murderer. And she's a sort of faded actress, yes. dancer, you know. And she made loads of hit films in the 40s and 50s. And then she's, as I say, faded into obscurity. And right. she she has a little screening cinema in her home. And she will spend most evenings watching her old films.
2: Well, and, um, I mean, Gloria Swanson does it in um, um, Sunset Boulevard. I've not she seen Sunset her. Boulevard. She watches herself as because she's obviously you know she's the fading silent movie star who's the... I, I well,
1: mean. but the Janet Lee is watching actual Janet Lee films from or a Janet Lee film from the early fifties, I think. Um, yeah, Gloria
2: Swanson's watching herself as young. Oh, oh,
1: she is too. Right, I see. Yeah. So it's, right, 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 right. Okay. I
2: mean, yeah. it must be, I, I think that probably it's gem, it will generally be, as you just say, Janet Lee watching a younger Janet Lee and Gloria Swanson watching a younger Gloria Swanson. I think that is generally the case. If I could think of any other. Oh,
1: I, I've got another one I've just thought of. Go on. It's a film called, it's a Terrence Stamp film from the early 2000s. Oh, it's um, The, it's, the, the it's, Limey. Um, yeah,
2: it's, yeah it's, it's The Limey and It's Poor Cow. Yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah, yeah.
2: there right. we go. Um, uh, so Victor Mature,
1: I must shamefully—I've never seen, other than this—I've never seen a Victor Mature film. I've never seen him in a film.
2: You've never seen um, the robe? No, I haven't. Not no at haven't. Easter time. It's always on. No,
1: no, I haven't. Um, and I do like old films. Don't get me wrong.
2: I Please just, watch I've, my darling Clementine.
1: Okay, I will write that down. I'm writing it down now. Yeah, but it, did he? Because he's got great comedy timing. He's got comedy chops in this. Had had he ever done comedy before this?
2: Not as far as I know. Okay. I think he generally, you know, because he was—he's a bit of a hunk. And, yeah, 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 and he's—he's he's got good, strong features, quite enlarged features as well. Um, and um, he generally played because in things like The Robe, he plays uh, Demetrius the slave, so he's you know his chest will be on show, um, sort of thing, um. I must, in case I forget, one of my favourite lines in the whole of this film is when Martin Balsam, mm. okay, taking a Pelham one, two, three. Martin, Martin Balsam he,
1: plays, uh, 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 so Victor Mature.
2: is Tony it, it's Powell. Tony Powell, who is this... Fading Hollywood movie actor. Yeah, and Martin Balsam plays his manager, Harry. Yes. And when um, FF... Goes to meet Tony Powell for the first time in his hotel suite. Well, I think this that particular scene is probably one of the best scenes mm-hmm. in the whole of the film. Mm-hmm. It is just because um, when he walks in to begin with, the first thing he says as Martin Borson opens the door, um, Sellers goes uh, Federico Fabrizi, and <laughs> Martin Paulson says something on Eliza. I don't speak Italian. <laughs> he said, "No, no, I am Federico Fabrizi," but that whole scene where he's pitching the film um, to Victor Mature. But when, because, um, of course, Martin getting more and more exasperated because he's going, well, what's the film? What's the yeah. picture about? And then um, Sellers walks over um, to the window of the, of the hotel room and just points to the window and says, that's what it's about, pointing to outside. And there's a beautiful pause. And Victor Mature goes, we know. <laughs> I just love that moment and it's the same as when he's saying when Martin Borson then says well what about a contract and Sellers as um as Fabrizzi then grabs um Victor Mature, gives him a kiss on the cheek and says that's my contract and Martin Borson says can I have a copy for my lawyer it's just <laughs> it's just a wonderful and I um I've watched the film about three or four times over the last week. I was also watching the two members of his of Sellers' gang in that scene. And there's a wonderful moment where um, the one, the, the more gormless one with the curly hair, who was actually a French actor, okay. Um, okay. Mac uh, Roney, who was a French acrobat. So some of those shots, you know, when you see them leaping onto the top of the, um, where the camera is yes. when they're shooting and they're leaping up the sides of the building, he could actually, um, right do that but there's a, the two of them in that scene that he's constantly trying to steal fruit in the background and mm. he finally steals Martin Paulson's banana <laughs> Um, they, it's, you just they are constantly doing something in the background um, while you know sellers are mature but I just think that whole scene is just beautifully played
1: Well, I, I think that before FF even gets in the room when we first see um, Victor Mature and and, and Harry, uh, in the hotel room, there's great back and forth between them. Look at those teeth, Harry. Just look at them.
0: <laughs> how many people in the world over forty can still say they have their own teeth, huh? And how many people in the world over fifty can still say they're only forty? Hello, I want to talk to Hollywood, California, please. Hollywood. I, I am speaking English.
1: Look at this. Look at this. Solid as a rock. Come on, Harry. Give me a hit in the stomach. I'll hit you later, Tony. I'm making a call. Oh, that's right. Sam Duffman of Duffman Studios. Just one shot in the stomach, Harry. Excuse me, operator.
0: I have to hit someone.
1: And I wrote down. I was getting some some Troy McClure vibes from <laughs> from Victor Mature, the character that Victor Mature is playing. Yes. He's, you know, when he says to he says to Harry, "Come on, hit me in the stomach." Yes, and 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 Harry sort of, what do you mean? And then eventually he hits him, and then you know, <clears throat> Victor Mature doesn't flinch. Sorry, Tony Powell doesn't flinch, keeps the smile, the smile, the teeth, and then he excuses himself. He goes into the the next room and just basically collapses on the floor. You kind of wonder how that whole role was pitched to Victor Mature. We want you to play pretty much yourself dried up yeah your, your best work is behind you um you, you've got a few too many wrinkles we want you to send yourself up
2: um, and he does it beautifully yeah yeah i mean the hair dye yeah um as you say the teeth it's you know um there's the line
1: there's the line you mentioned neo, realism, <laughs> and and harry's definition of neorealism is no money
2: well yes <laughs> i mean <laughs> It's, 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 you know, it's shooting on the hoof. <laughs> um, It's interesting talking about money because uh, De Sica was, um, he was in debt. De Sica was a gambler. Right. He constantly was gambling. Um, he didn't, he always went for the quick fix. So he didn't play things such as poker or bridge. He played pontoon or roulette. And the, every day. So generally um, De Sica would, there would be a two hour lunch break and then he'd have an hour's nap and but every day at 4pm he would make a telephone call to, when this is when they're on the island of Ischia, he would telephone um, a casino in Monte Carlo and put money, lira on the roulette wheel and then he'd be on the phone listening to the sound of the ball going round and round and round and then uh, generally people heard him swear in Italian and then slam the phone down (laughs) Um, so Neil Simon thinks that De Sica kind of took this film on because um, to pay for his right. pay, pay for his debts.
3: Mm. Um,
2: and of course, De Sica, we can't miss out that De Sica appears in the film. Yes, he does. Um, yes. A lovely cameo from yeah. himself, and um, which of course helps move the plot of the film along because uh, Aldo Venucci and his gang steal. And um, all the uh, equipment um, well, that, from Sica's film.
1: Yeah, because Sica is filming a film called Flight from Egypt. Yep. And it's a biblical epic. And there's someone, supposedly John Huston, yes. as Moses. <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's tall enough to be John Huston, but yeah, uh,
1: yeah. And then, of course, they set the fans going to whip up a sandstorm, which obliterates all view, all vision. And as the sand clears, Aldo and the gang have stolen all the film equipment. And De Sique has just sat there. <laughs> sat there on the, sat there, yes. on, on the ground.
2: And is in uh, his assistant in their underwear. And they're, <laughs> they're just left in their underwear. Yes.
1: Um. It, one of the things that, if you read enough Peter Sellers' biographies, as I did when I was younger, whenever this film was covered, the, there was always the same quote from Sellers. Regarding uh, De Sica, Sellers was quoted as saying, He thinks in Italian, I think yes. in English. Um, yeah, that's
2: the quote I've picked up as well.
1: Yeah. And at one point, I believe Sellers, as as, <laughs> as was his want, he considered having De Sica fired and replaced by his old chum, Joe McGrath. Yeah. Uh, who, who refused? Who, who refused, and who, but who would actually end up working with sellers on the next Sellers project, which was the disastrous Casino Royale.
2: Casino Royale, yes. Mm. Um there's because there's another coda story to the Joe McGrath. So I gather that Sellers dis- decided on a whim that he wanted every member of the cast and crew to have to be eat British sausages. And <laughs> why, now, you know, um coming from a country that produces, you know, Salami yeah. and prosciutto. I mean, the list is endless. I mean, I, I could, I myself, I could permanently graze on um, Italian meats and cheeses, and I would be in my element. And he had so Joe McGrath through sellers had the sausages helicoptered from Harrods um, to uh, airport in probably Heathrow, I would imagine, and um, then it was the sausages were flown. To Rome, to Napoli, and then transported to Ischia, so people could have British sausages. Wow! But talking about um, Sellers, you know, trying to remove Vittorio De Sica because Britt Eklund said that she thought that he was he was at that stage in his career where he thought he was better qualified to direct his movies than established directors, mm. and I can imagine that
1: Sellers. Had only directed one film prior. To, well, he, yeah, he had only directed one film, which was Mister Topaz. What year was that? That was nineteen
2: sixty
1: sixty one, right? And it, and it was not a happy film. Was not a success. Success at all.
2: Yeah. No. No. Um. Yeah, I and mean, it's interesting because Sellers had worked You know, working was working with. You know, he'd been working with Kubrick, and um, it, I just think he. He had one hell of an ego
1: <laughs> he did he did now, interestingly just on that <clears throat> what's the why what whose idea do you think it was because i'm i'm sure that neil simon didn't come up with this himself whose idea was was it to have a a quote phone call from sophia
2: yes well of course bearing in mind this is he's not credited on the, um, if I remember right, he's not credited on the opening credits. And the opening credits, by the way, are absolutely mm. fabulous. They and are. the song as oh, well. Oh, yeah. And mm. when I was a young boy, I think, no, that you know, that drew me in straight away. I mean, the song is just an earworm, but, and it just stays in your head forever it, and ever. It's really. my
1: favourite, it's one of my favourite film songs of all time.
2: And wonderful credits with it, which, of course, were the by Morris... Um, Binder Binder Binder
1: Binder, yeah yeah who Um, was James Bond that's right and and so he designed Morris Binder designed the the opening credits which uh which is this cartoon fox and he's uh trying to get gold and he's being um he's being obstructed in this aim by various members of police uh and it's it's animated by a guy called Dick Horn. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, who was no, working? Didn't, uh,
2: didn't Dick Horn? Did he, did he have something to do with the Beatles?
1: Yeah, he was working on the Beatles cartoon TV series. Yeah. um And Bender had worked on, had done the or designed the mouse that roared title yeah, sequence. So a lot yeah. of a lot of Sellers films from the late fifties to to the sort of late sixties had animated title sequences. There was was there a conscious an overt attempt for this film for After the Fox to be um, compared with the previous seller's film what's new Pussycat
2: well yes because the tagline was you caught the pussycat now chase the fox the fox is- mm.
1: yeah and 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 the <clears throat> the title sequence it's again it's just it's got there's echoes of the what's new Pussycat
2: yes title with, sequence and isn't what's new Pussycat was that written by correct. Yeah, and Hal David as absolutely
1: well? yeah yeah by the way, um, obviously the, the Hollies sang the theme tune with Sellers yes. providing little asides, which is fantastic. I gather it didn't chart. Did it not? Did well, it... It, well, it should, well yeah. mind you, there was a lot of good things in the charts in 1966, I guess. It would have been um,
2: wonderful on junior choice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> one of my, um, I noticed on Twitter, one a guy that um, I communicate with on Twitter, a guy called Alan Dace, messaged me and he said that he saw the hollies on tour in the late 90s and they played after the fox with with seller's voice lifted from the original recording and cued in live by the keyboard player wonderful
2: (laughs) that's great sorry i I need to you you asked me a question about sophia lorraine oh yeah yeah phone call yes sorry yeah so it's not credited on there but there are two writers um, there is De Sica's writer, uh, Cesare Savantini, who was with De Sica from around about 19, early 1940s. So he worked with De Sica throughout um, that, you know, 40s, 50s, etc., um, etc. Et and the wonderful meeting he had with Neil Simon at the Savoy and he, um, Savantini didn't speak a word of English. And he opened the door to um, Neil Simon and said, Buongiorno. Mm. And then Neil Simon said that he um, then spoke back to him and he said, Buongiorno, grazie. And, and Neil Simon said, Well, that was all my vocab in Italian. And then they sat there for 30 minutes, just leafing through magazines until the interpreter arrived. And apparently, the first interpreter was awful. And they managed to get another interpreter in. And then I mean, this is how marvelous you Neil know, Simon was as a writer as well. The ideas that Seventeen was bringing, he, about three days later, he was able to go back for another meeting with him with the changes to the script. So you have this, so you've got sort of this English Italian uh, hybrid of a script um, being written um, by these two um, wonderful writers. And I think maybe this, it's interesting with the Sophia Loren gag, because of course, Sophia Loren, De Sica, R as one and Sophia Ren, her Academy Award that she won for two women uh, was directed by Desica. She was the first foreign actor to win um, the Academy Award, you know, to win the Academy Award for that film. So her close affiliation with De Sica. and of mm. course, Sellers' obsession um, with Sophia Ren. Um, I hope it wasn't Sellers' idea. I hope it was um, Savantini and De Sica's mm. idea. Mm. To Put that in because I imagine that De Sica would be aware through Sophia Loren of Seller's um, devotion um, to her. I do hope that's the case, but well, I imagine yeah, probably it, would,
1: it would probably have tickled Seller's fancy.
2: Hello, just a minute, Melano. Hello,
0: Sophia. hello my darling (laughs) Uh, no Sophia I told you I'm uh, busy with the Tony Powell (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry Sophia you will have to get somebody
3: else
0: Sophia I'm sorry my darling there's no part for you in the picture would I lie to you Uh, Sophia, Sophia don't Tony talk to this girl she's hysterical she's hysterical talk to her please hello hello Sophia yeah. <laughs> She'll kill me. She'll kill me. It'll be in all the Italian newspapers.
2: I, I've, I've just remembered something regarding um, Sellers' um, sort of behaviour with Britt Eklund. When they came back after filming, Neil Simon flew back with them and they came back to London and they were going to watch a sort of rough print of the film and they were in the car together making their way and they dr- they were driving through the West End and Britt Eklund noticed... The Odd Couple was on um, uh, the, the play with uh, Jack Klugman and Victor Spinetti playing the roles. Right. And she said, she said, oh, look, look, Peter, there's Neil's play. We must go and see it. And I gather that Neil Simon said that Sellers, um, in a rage, said, what the hell's going on between you two? <laughs> and then Neil Simon, a wonderful thing in his memoir, he said that what could have happened when she said it was, look, oh, look, Peter, there's Chekhov's the seagull. Let's go and see it. And then sellers would have replied, what the hell is going on with you and that dead Russian? Uh, but there you are. There's another, yeah. you know, that controlling. Yeah.
1: Uh, I want to, very briefly, the chief of police in, ah. um, in what's the what's the little village called? Savalio. Savalio. Savali. So they've, they've, they've decamped to this coastal village where the boat is going to bring in the gold and they're going to film this fictional film that they're making with um tony powell and uh, gina romantica um and every member of the village wants to be involved as well um but the the chief of police probably foremost among them because he's good morning good morning now i gather that actor had to learn his lines phonetically because he didn't speak english is that yes you know that's
2: right? a lando Bu- um right. who right you probably all know for monte carlo or bust Oh, well, I've not seen that for many years. an but... Anakin film. Yes, yes. He uh, plays the leading Italian role in that Okay, film. okay.
1: Good morning, good morning. Good morning to you. We have this courtroom scene where the whole village essentially is on trial. And it's it, it's there's almost a bittersweet tone to the film during this, because you see Tony Powell realising that he's been made yeah. a total fool of.
2: In this film, yes. Uh,
1: and his face falls and... And the the footage that they show is so amateur, um, amateur.
2: But it's also sending up Italian. Uh, the, one of the reasons why De Sica may have taken on this film. It is also sending up the sort of emergence that came in the late fifties, early sixties of Italian films with with uh, people such as um, uh, Fellini and um, Antonioni. Mm. The sort of you know jerky cutting of the film, the close ups. Sure. Um, things going out of focus and uh, I think De Sica is enjoying um, sort of ribbing his fellow um, uh, film directors and I, I love the fact that I mean it's not spoiling it for anyone who hasn't seen it but when the in the, in the courtroom where the film critic gets up and applauds the film mm. and um, you may find this strange Tyler but I would actually like to uh, to see the God of Cairo, the way it was shot. <laughs> yeah, because it all. I just love things. it when Tony Powell when he when he when he when he falls into the chair. I just think it's a beautiful shot. And there's that lovely bit of Martin Borson where he's just moaning right into the camera lens. <laughs> and of course, there's you know Britt Eklund, You know, there's a lovely you know to be shot from underneath mm. to make Britt Eklund look ugly. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I actually, I actually really want to see that film. I'd like to see. I wish there was more of it.
1: Well, because yeah, because Federico <laughs> Fabrizi is just improvising. He, they don't have a script. No. Nope. So he says he, he tells um, Gina and Tony to run, just, just go running, and they run around the whole village. I think. Now remind me, is
2: Tony wearing a trench coat?
1: I think he is, isn't he? Yes,
2: he is. And then he decides, isn't he, later on, he decides to remove his trademark. His
1: trademark t- trench coat. Trench yes. Coats, yes. <laughs> did Which is another... Did, did, did I'm sure he didn't, but did Victor Mature have a, a penchant for trench coats in his films, do you know?
2: I reckon he probably did. That is a good qu- question. Can we come back it doesn't and edit matter. it in and I'll give you the right answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just uh, edit that bit out.
1: Okay, okay. Okay. Uh, but Yes, so so Aldo Venucci is sent back to, to prison. Um, and I'm not going to spoil anything because I think, no, you, as I say, I, rem- it's, it's, it's I a remember
2: great. as I remember being as a young boy seeing this film, and um, it was just one of those endings where I just sort of looked at the screen, <laughs> went, <laughs> What come again? Because, of course we've had a precursor to this scene earlier on um, in the film. And I would like to point out that uh, the doctor, the prison doctor, who was played by um, uh, Luigi Pizzi is, um, it's his one and only film. Oh, okay. He's not an actor.
1: But he was chosen for his he's clothes. Costume,
2: he's a costume designer.
1: Right. So he, he from a distance, if you squinted, he could pass for sellers in a beard for sellers. and
2: glasses. Mm. with glasses on. Mm. Um, so there's that thing of neorealism, using somebody who's not an actor, which is also the same for um, Aldo and Gina's mother, um, is played by um, Lydia Brazzi, who was the wife of the Italian actor Rosano Brazzi. Rosano Brazzi, you probably know from uh, South Pacific mm. um, and David Lean's Summertime. And Neil Simon said that De Sica had auditioned lots and lots of women to play... Mama Venucci and they went out to dinner and this is where Neil Simon said you could see the magnetism of De Sica he would go into a restaurant and every everyone would stop and Mm. he would be given all the best food and he was in the restaurant they were in the restaurant he looked across and there's Rosanna Brazzi with his wife Lydia and he went to Neil Simon I found Mama Venucci and he went over he knew Rosanna Brazzi and he said to Lydia Bradzi he said, "Would you like to be in my film?" And she said, "I'm not an actor and he said, "Oh come and have a test." And she did. And there she is Melden. Um, and um, would you like to would you like to guess how old she was when she made that film mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's it a bit of a it's a hoary old chestnut that uh, Italian women age very well. Because of all the olive oil, is that is that right? <laughs> and so she's she was either she was either it's either going to be she was either something like ninety, <laughs> or she was I don't know thirty
2: one. <laughs> Go on, she was the same age as Sellers. <gasps> no. Yes, so Sellers they're both forty. They're around about forty. She really? Yeah. Oh my god! Obviously they they you know yeah, but still put makeup on and her hair and but still yes please mention david lodge by the way because i know you love david lodge yes
1: so god we completely forgot to there's an obligatory david lodge mention in every show um and this this week so right at the beginning there's this lovely to morris denham of course we've not mentioned morris denham so morris denham so we have the the actual pre-credit sequence which is the actual bullion van that is robbed
2: Yes, yeah, so have you managed? Because I mean, I know you're a stickler for detail. I hope that you've managed to track down that copy of Playboy that the security <laughs> <left>.
1: <laughs> No, I have not. Okay. I'm above such things. Um, but but the the, the robbery occurs. Then we have the credit sequence, the wonderful credit sequence. And by the way, the incidental music that's throughout this film is great. It's so 1966,
2: isn't it? But it um, in the Italian version, it's n- it's not. Um, it's um, in Italian, so there's, there's actually a different score in the Italian. Oh version.
1: right, okay, but we we have this um soon as the opening credits are over we have what we can i'm assuming it's like it's meant to be interpol would
2: you would you say yeah i would go with interpol and
1: we have have morris denham who um had obviously worked with sellers on two-way stretch he was the prison governor Mm -hmm. in two-way stretch um but he is addressing this committee of i guess police commissioners or uh, law making law enforcers um and he, they're they are debating who the mastermind behind the gold robbery could be and we have this lovely little sequence um uh, there's this four likely suspects um the first one is a an elderly <clears throat> and we, we cut to this elderly Frenchman in a wheelchair In a wheelchair.
2: Yeah, is he known as the cat or something
1: I didn't write it down um, and he, he he's in a park and he just sort of slowly wheels his wheelchair up to this like dowager looking lady and grabs her handbag and then very very slowly wheels himself away and she just what does she do she just walks up to him and grabs the bag back yes. with a sort of indulgent smile on her face um, and then we have the the second suspect is um, an Irishman,
2: Michael O'Reilly.
1: Michael O'Reilly, who has it, it would appear he has developed extreme uh, what is it myopia. Yes. And, and yes. he and he he actually wanders into a police station, and of course, who is the policeman in charge? It's David Lodge. David Lodge playing one of the seventeen because I counted them, one of the 17 <laughs> policemen he played
2: on film and television in his career. uncredited, as is uh, Michael O'Reilly, who's played by Timothy uh, Bateson, who of course is the voice of the worm in Labyrinth. There you go. There you go. Useless piece of <laughs> Yes. Um, Whereas I think the gentleman who plays the uh, French, I think he's actually credited, as is your final um, criminal, Felix Kessler. Yes, the German. He yes. is on the credits as well,
1: and he's he. And the the reason why it cannot be him is because he has been eating too many cream cakes or um, knockwurst, whatever it is they eat in Germany, and he's too huge to get through.
2: <laughs> bank I have a question. Doors. I I do have a a sort of uh, a question about that. Yeah, he is too large to leave the bank. Yeah. How did he get into the bank in the first That's place? That's a
1: very good question. It's that sort of question that just <clears throat> shows up all the holes in this film script, yep. you know?
2: Absolutely important. I mean, Neil Simon couldn't write for <laughs> Toffee, could he? Couldn't, absolutely, couldn't write for Toffee.
1: Um, I gather, the, I mean, I think the film is fantastic. I think it's one of Seller's best films. and But it was not a huge commercial success or a critical success. Many, many critics seem to lay the blame for the film not being a success on to seeker
2: um, Yes.
1: and and one of the things i read was that there seemed to be this narrative that he had put together a rather poor cast of supporting actors who were a bit out of their depth alongside the maestro sellers
2: if you like um, i mean there's, there's not a there's not a lot of room though really for the supporting players i mean they are literally there to, um to be beck and call to whatever aldo venucci i think i mean i i'm lydia bradzi is the mama of course the the, the two policemen oh yeah uh, we mustn't miss out the two policemen who have their own wonderful um, piece of theme music whenever they appear mm, mm. and the tall one who never speaks always reminds me of uh, ron male from sparks oh yes um, now you say that yes and they, I mean, there's not a lot for some of the others to do. I mean, as I say, if you if you go back and watch that scene in the hotel suite, when um, uh, Federico Fabrizzi is, you know, trying to sell the film to Tony Powell, do watch um, the two uh, his two gang members mm. doing little bits of business, mm. and they are wonderful. Mm. That little bit where Sellers is saying, you know, saying, "I hear an ocean, and I hear a heartbeat." Um, oh yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did look. I did look up some reviews um, of the time because the film was in, in the UK was released um, end of October, beginning in, sorry, end of September, beginning of October, end of September, beginning of October in 1966. So yeah. of course, there you are watching this film in beautiful sunshine, and uh, you know, <laughs> probably starting to rain. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, but you've just this, had the World Cup, haven't you?
2: Um, the um, some of the reviews I f- found. The um, Financial Times. Well, first of all, the New York Times said that they thought that Peter Sellers acted on a level of Jerry Lewis. Oh. Bro- I know. Oh. Broad comedy was the was w- w- what they were saying there. The Financial Times asked the question: Is Desica at a disadvantage directing a film in English, or isn't he very good at comedy, or isn't he very good anymore? Um, <laughs> So we had the Sunday Express said as entertainment, all this would appear as foolproof, as a tired, as a tried and trusted old gag. The mystery is how so much talent and money could have resulted in this mere silhouette of a comedy. The answer, I think, is that it is all so thoroughly unbelievable. (laughs) Um, They were watching a different film. Well, I think they were. Um, so the, the Times, though, um, in this country did praise Sellers and Victor Mature um, for their performances. Okay. And one of the papers, um, the Evening News, said, you know, the, we we, talk it with, we keep talking about that scene in the hotel with the call to Sophia Loren, et etc. Et they thought that that was an absolutely um, top-notch mm. um, scene as well. I just think the scenes, I I do sometimes, because Victor Mature did say quite early on that um, if Sellers plays his cards right, he could steal this picture from me. Um, And then later on, though, when he saw The Rushes, he said to an American gossip columnist called Sheila Graham, if I was you, I'd sell your stock in United Artists. I, I actually think that Victor Mature very, very nearly steals this film from peter sellers uh, yeah his performance is just wonderful
1: oh no question of that but i think sellers is still yeah sellers, le- sellers is still leagues top ahead top. i think yeah um, leaves everyone else standing but uh
2: and you can see the the contrast in the two roles between aldo Vinucci and federico Yes. Fabrizzi. And I gather that he was, when he was Federico Fabrizzi, he was using a bit of De Seca, but most of it was uh, Mario Zampi oh, um, who right. directed him in The Naked Truth.
1: And they didn't get on. Yeah. Funny enough.
2: Yeah. Um, so he used a lot of, I gather that he used a lot of him right. um, when he was playing um, Federico Fabrizzi. Okay.
1: Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And as, as I said, so yeah, the film was not a, huge success and then no. um sellers and eklund made the bobo the following year which i haven't seen for 30 plus years i must track down a copy of that and watch that uh, and then um sellers would would in a sense work with neil simon again uh 10 years later on murder by death
2: no oh, yes
1: um which we've covered on this podcast you have covered yeah um, I
2: just there's something I, I'd, I'd like to tell you about because it has a marvelous quote in the end from Neil Simon. Sure. There's a lot of superstition when making Italian films, and this film, a lot of things went wrong uh, when they were shooting this film. So first of all, when they were staying in the um, the hotel in Ischia, Neil Simon and his wife were there. He brought his wife there and his um, family, and He said at 2 a.m. in the morning, he kept hearing in the room above a piano being moved across the floor. And um, this went on for about two or three nights and he finally, finally spoke to a member of the hotel staff and the hotel staff said, well, that's very strange. I mean, because there's no one staying in the room above you, but there is a piano in the room. So then Neil Simon told this story to Jessica and the crew and then they just looked at him Aghast. And De Sica said, Leave it with me. I'm going to change your sleeping arrangements. De Sica was also a man. If his, wherever he was staying, if his bed faced from east to west, he would always move it from north to south. Right. Um, Victor Mature, during um, one day's filming when they were by the sea, he had to do about four or five takes because he just wasn't getting it right and he got angry with himself and he threw his script into the sea the crew stopped filming um they salvaged the script um from the sea um scripts in italy, in, in italy are sort of treated as some you know you've got to treat them with respect the actual script so they put the pages out in the sun to let them dry hmm. and then the local priest came and blessed the script right um, Members of the crew kept falling over, cutting themselves. Two cars crashed into each other. Another car went into a shop window. But the best story of all is either a um, script woman or it was the wife of an Italian dignitary who came to visit the set was wearing a purple dress.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. That's that's going to end badly.
2: And... (laughs) Everyone stopped, and because in Italy we've Lent in, in Lent, um, the priests used to wear purple cassocks. Yeah, which meant that you couldn't do any entertaining. Which meant it was the death of your profession. So everyone stopped um, because of this, and this had to be then um, dealt with. Um, filming on Ischia, um, there are very narrow roads, and Victor mature on his first day. His, he he came down from his hotel room and he was waiting. His, his car was outside with the chauffeur and it was a Fiat. And he said, I'm not traveling down to the set in a Fiat and very narrow roads. And it would take about 30, just over 30 minutes in the Fiat to get to the bottom. He said, no, I want a um, I want a limousine. And I'm not sure if it's actually the limousine that's used in the film, but they managed to get him a white limousine. And then the driver, apparently the driver, the chauffeur before he drove off, actually crossed himself. And um, instead of taking 30 minutes, it was taking, it took an hour. And then it would also take an hour to get back up. Oh, my word. Obviously, somebody called Peter Sellers saw that uh, Victor Mature was turning up in a white limousine. He demanded a car as well. They couldn't get him a white one, (laughs) but they could get him a black one. And he came down, up and down. Every time they were shooting um in a black limousine. I gather also with the colour of the purple, Sellers was then um banned purple himself.
1: Oh Sellers Sellers yeah. was, was a bugger for the colour purple and yeah, because it not, was not green. for the
2: film. Um no, no. <laughs>
1: but um, for, for purple and green, yeah. Green
2: was the other one, yes. Mm. Um, so uh, this is the power of Vittoria De Sica. In the end. Because when Neil Simon and his wife and family came to join, they sat on the set. Um, De Sica was absolutely adorable with them, as was Victor Mature. I don't know about Sellers. Nobody said anything about Sellers. But Victor Mature, he used to take them back up in Mm -hmm. the limousine. And it was safe to do it at that point when they arrived because De Sica managed to use his power and the money from United Artists um, to have the road widened. Oh, so so the so the car wouldn't take so long really back and forth. Yes. Oh my word! Um, And there was another thing they used to do at the end of a day's filming in Ischia that Desica and Neil Simon and the principal cast. So Sellers would be there before he disappeared back into his hotel room. um, They would take it in turns to have a drink, and a member of the principal cast would then foot the bill. Uh, apparently the only one who didn't join in with this, he used to manage to get all the way up to his hotel room in time and then lean out the window with a large glass of red and say, and while everyone was lifting their glasses, he would say, salute. And um, Victor Mature um, never bought around. <laughs> <laughs> he was always in his room. I hope that story's true. Um, but uh, so that's the power of De Seeker. But Neil Simon was asked about... Um, making after the Fox and he said uh, what you know what did you what did you sort of in the end come up with after making your you know your first screenplay and he said well what I've realized is never write a script uh, with another script writer who doesn't speak a word of your language never work with a director who only speaks half of your language and is only doing it for money and whatever you do Never work on a film where somebody wears a purple dress.
1: <laughs> Wise counsel. Wise counsel, yes. Mm. Um, Very good.
2: Your Honour,
3: I beg you, I plead for mercy. These people are innocent, all of them. They've been misguided, misled. Not for gold, not for riches, but for the weakness of the human spirit. Should we be punished because we want to feed the hunger of an empty soul? Yes, take them away. Wait. wait. If anyone must go to prison, it's me. For I alone am responsible for this crime. Because I'm a small crook, I go to prison. It's only the big crooks that go free. Is that justice? Justice says that somebody has to pay. I sentence you, small crook, to five years. I accept it happily. Knowing in my joyous heart... That a sister will write to a brother every day after school. That a mother will be protected and cared for by friends. Hard-working friends. And that a fine actor has realised that true talent is never diminished by the passing years. But don't you worry about Vanucci. I will be out of jail April 1st at three o'clock.
1: Sir Graham... Listen, thank you so much for for this. It's been it's very very enjoyable, and informative conversation. I'd love to have you back again to talk about another film, another Sellers film, or even if talk about Song of uh, Norway. With Song Harry of Se- Norway, or or Sunstruck, or uh, Doctor in Trouble. Um, well, Song of <laughs> Norway
2: does have uh, Hermione Farthingale, who was David Bowie's girlfriend. You know. Oh yes, yes, and David Bowie. Oh, David Bowie was a huge fan of the Goons.
1: Yeah, but David Bowie. Yes, I know. But David Bowie, I'm sure, did he have a he? He was. There's a photograph of David Bowie wearing a T-shirt with "Song of Norway" on it. Yes,
2: that was later. Yes, when he came when he came back in um, um, in 2013 for the video for "Where Where, where Are You Now," he wore a T-shirt.
1: Yeah, and um, uh, for uh, Hermione, uh, that's right. And Duncan Jones, his son, follows me on Twitter. follows the Goop pod yeah. on Twitter. Which is very um, which is very nice.
2: So, so what are you, what, what what projects are you working on at the moment, Graham? Well, I'm going to be running a course very soon um, on Ennio Morricone. All right. Uh, yeah. So, um, going through well, he did score over 450 films. Mm. I'm not going through all of them, mm. but it's sort of um, for it's a five hour course and um, highlighting um, some of his work Um, because he is one of the greatest um, composers in the history um, of film and um, my other project which is ongoing and is well I'm I'm sort of working through the drafts of it now but most of the meat of it is done Um, so I've been working since 2000 the idea was in 2015 And I decided um, I'm a huge David Bowie fan and all books about David Bowie are always obviously about, mainly about, of course, him being a musician, a songwriter, et cetera, et cetera. But I was always more, I kind of looked at his um, acting career, um, film, theatre and television. Mm. And um, I thought it was a good idea. And I met Julian Temple directing Bowie in Absolute Beginners. And Julian said, oh, that's a great idea. Well, you know, um, if you need any help just contact me and of course then sadly david bowie died and that kind of knocked me for six um for quite a while um but then i've slowly sort of got on with the process and um so i've interviewed quite a quite a few people people hadn't been interviewed before um for some of the films he made and um some chapters are longer than others i mean the man who fell to earth is Pretty long, but then there have been books about the of Worth So that's the main project, and I'm sort of now having to go through the drafts of all the different. So every credit he has has its own separate chapter.
1: Oh, okay. So he's so there'll be a chapter devoted to Yellowbeard.
2: Yes, there is. I've already written that. Yes. Really? Well, in fact, I've, I've in fact I've written them all. um So yes, Yellowbeard, I've written about, um,
1: <laughs> which he played. He had what one line? He played a shark.
2: A shark. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But there's some lovely little stories that he got up to um, while they were on the, uh, because he was on holiday at the time when when this galleon ship arrived Mm. uh, with uh, Graham Chapman, Eric Idle, Marty Feldman, et cetera, et cetera, on it. But Bowie was um, recharging his batteries and then then got coerced into, (laughs) and he ended up having one of the funniest times of his life, he said, you know, with these great comedians. And, and and also interesting through that Yellow Beard, it's, it's things about Marty Feldman and uh, David Bowie and Bowie's connections with different members of the Pythons, different sort of interactions, especially with Eric. Eric Idol, of course, is godfather to uh, David's son. To Duncan, Duncan. yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, but there's all these sort of, in, they met him along the way. And Bowie was a huge British comedy fan, um, you know, the Goons, because he did Goons impressions, yeah. and of course Pete and Dad, he and Brian Eno you know, used to do this, and he was a big fan of Hancock yeah and uh, Round the Horn.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and he went to school. One of his teachers at school was Peter Frampton's dad. Correct. And and it was Peter Frampton's dad that drove him to hospital when he had that fight, which caused his eye to. Change color, is that right? Yes. yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, The fight over a girl. That's right. Best friend George Underwood. That's right. That's right.
1: (laughs) What I want to ask. What I want to end on, okay? Because you mentioned you've also written a book about Will Hay.
2: Ah, yeah. There is a seller's connection.
1: Well, well, I was going to ask you, what's the seller's connection?
2: Um. Well, ask me the question. Okay. uh...
1: Um. Which is the better film? Ask a policeman, or the Boys in Blue. Do you really
2: wish me to answer? <laughs> have you seen The Boys of Blue, which is a yes, I have. Which is a remake, essentially, isn't it? Of it is a remake. Ask a policeman. Yeah. I'm not going to pass comment in case I upset any cannon and ball fans. <laughs> um, because oh, I the way the way I could best answer that for you, if somebody ever asks me what's the best Will have film, I always say it's either Oh Mr. Porter or Ask a Policeman. So there's that that kind of answers. What's the better mm. film between us and Police? So Will Hay and Peter Sellers. So Roger Lewis sort of led me to this. Uh, Will Hay in 1925 was in a review show called Vanity Box, which had a sort of about 26, 27 different scenes and songs. And Will Hay's schoolmaster, he did lots of different things, but the schoolmaster sketch was part of it as well. And this toured from about March, middle of March to the beginning of December of 1925, just toured all over. Um, the uk hmm. and um, when they played south sea their king's theater in south sea uh, which i think was in september
1: oh yeah 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 i know where this um, is going
2: yep two members of the uh, cast minor members of the cast um um peg and bill is that peg and bill yep um she gave birth to peter sellers well to richard henry Sorry, yes, to give him his real name, yes, because yes. of course he was, named, he was named Peter because of the um, it, it's previous, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I wrote in my book, which I'd love to rewrite and edit, because it, it's way too long and not brilliantly written. Um, that I hope, but then I don't think so, because Will Hay um, probably, probably wasn't interested in a small baby. Um, but I, I just hope that maybe he did hold him. Yeah and passed on the comedy baton uh, to the young Richard at the time because I gave it wasn't a couple of weeks later or something he was brought onto the stage that's right and cried yeah
1: and bawled his eyes out uh,
2: so that's the connection between Will Hay and Peter Sellers what a lovely point to
1: end on Graham Um,
2: we we should have popped the film on at the same time we could have done a running commentary we could have done could not we yeah
1: thanks again to graham thank you for listening please rate and review in the usual places and i will see you next week goodbye